0: Good afternoon, Church. Okay, just get myself sorted. Just before we begin, please remember, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Karen, Sir and John. Not because they're sunning themselves in sunny Spain, although it rained yesterday, but they've they, they got some good weather today. But just that they'll be rested, refueled uh, for Traveling Mercies as they come back to the UK later in the week. So just remember them in your prayers. Um, but before we begin, let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you are God. Father, we thank you that you're in control of all things. And Lord, just teach us something new. Teach us things, godly things. Father, teach us a better way to live our lives, to conduct ourselves, to uh, serve you and to serve your people, your community. Father, Show us more of your nature, more of your character through these words. Father, I pray, Lord, as we read from your word, the beating, pulsating, life-giving word, that it would impact our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as Claire's just mentioned, this word has been kind of in me these last few weeks as I've been studying and spending time with God. It's just really impacted my own personal life, and it's that that I want to share. Sometimes we've got to experience something, something profound before we can bring it and share it with others to have that same impact. So I pray that it would land with each person in this room. I'm going to look at, uh, turn your, your Bibles to the book of Philippians. I'm going to be mainly looking at chapter 2 and chapter 4. It's only a short book, four chapters. And kind of start, if you like, if it were a puzzle, I'm going to start giving you some context, some of the straight edge pieces around the edge. And then I'm going to bring the scriptures, which we'll turn to in just a moment, to give you the bigger picture. And so I want to look at a man in the book of Philippians. His name is only mentioned twice in the Bible, once in chapter 2, once in chapter 4. It's a Greek name. His name is Epaphroditus. And you may or may not have heard of him, but as you can probably tell, it's a Greek name. His name derives from the Greek pagan goddess Aphrodite, who was associated with love, beauty, pleasure, passion, and procreation. The very name of means handsome and charming. Whether he was like me or not is another matter. Thank you. He was a servant of Christ. We can read from the, con- from the text in the book of Philippians, that he was a servant of Christ. And despite his Greek name and the origins of his name, he did not let that dictate what he was going to do for God. But he served the church at Philippi, and he served Paul, the Apostle Paul, wholeheartedly. His commitment and his faith was second to none. And we'll look at that in just a moment. So that's a little bit about Epaphroditus, his name, his character... Let's just look at Philippi. Philippi was a city. It was known as the gateway to Europe for the gospel. And Philippi had become a very special place to the Apostle Paul. You can read through the text that he refers to it and commends the people at uh, the church at Philippi time and time again. Commending them for their giving, for their faithfulness, for the continuing works that they do. Philippi, due to its popular trade route, it was a large and prosperous city situated in Macedonia, which was the northern region of Greece. And like many places at this time, it had become colonized by the Romans. In fact, it had become known as Little Rome. I find it interesting that in this letter, Paul was actually imprisoned in Rome writing to a place called Little Rome. I just find that fascinating, that little link there. But anyhow, in fact, the Roman Emperor Augustus gave the place a very pompous name. It was this, Colonia Julia Augusta Philippensis. But thankfully, the people called it Philippi for short. And I'm glad I'm going to keep saying that over and over again. But the context here for what I want to speak on is that Paul's letter to the church in Philippi was during his time under house arrest. So Paul is in Rome under house arrest. He can't quite go, come and go as frequently as he used to. He was pending trial um, and but what's incredible about this as though he was physically restrained somewhat he was still spiritually released he was able to write letters encouraging letters to the church and what happens here is that the, the church in Philippi hear of Paul's arrest and this gentleman Epaphroditus has his here I am send me moment and he travels approximately 810 miles mostly by land but also by sea from philippi to rome and it doesn't say that he traveled with any companions it it seems that he travels alone he takes with him some money and some care packages to assist paul in his ministry you see this letter was an encouragement letter to the church at philippi but this same letter continues to encourage us the church today Just to give you, uh, maybe this will be a bit more helpful in terms of the distance traveled. It was the equivalent of traveling from here in Newport to Berlin. It was quite a journey. It took days and days and days. So now that we kind of understand a little bit about Epaphroditus, his name, his character, the place that we're referring to in Philippi, and the context of this letter, let us look now at Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. I'm reading from the NLT, Philippians 2, verses 25 to 30. It says this, meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. I'll come come back to that in just a moment. Reading on, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he was certainly ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me, so that I would not have to have one sorrow after another. So I am glad, sorry, so I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know that you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. See, Paul has great concerns, not only that Epaphroditus almost dies, but the concern that the people back at the church of Philippi had, knowing that Epaphroditus had fallen ill nearly to death. It says, Welcome him, reading on, in the Lord's love with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me What you couldn't do from far away. If you can turn to chapter 4, we're just going to flick forward to Philippians 4, verses 15 to 20. It says, As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you, but rather I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God the Father forever and ever. Amen. So there we have the picture. We have the scene. We have this man, Epaphroditus, committed, servant-hearted, traveling from his local church to see Paul, taking some care packages with him. And right at the start of the text that I read from Chapter Two, I said that I would come back to this. So these are my three points. Apaphroditus, the three qualities that Paul commends him of these: he was a true brother. Ladies, you can put sister if you wish, but he was a true brother. Apaphroditus was a co-worker, and Apaphroditus was a fellow soldier. So, point one: true brother. What? What is the text saying to us with this endearing comment from Paul to Epaphroditus? He is a true brother. The word true brother used here isn't just a term for friendship. It's more deep-rooted than that. It's an expression of where we get the Greek word kononia from. It's a word to mean to have communion with God and others. God is the common thread. In this relationship. This kononia. This communion and fellowship. With God and one another. It can literally translate this. Whatever happens to you. Happens to me. And I love this. Because kononia wasn't just a term. uh, Referenced uh, in Christian circles. It was also a term used to describe. Two people in business together. And so that translation. Stands true if things go well. For one business partner. It goes well for the other business partner. If a business is failing and going down, it goes down and is failing for the other one, yes? Whatever happens to you, happens to me. It's a kindred experience. There's no separation. And so Paul is saying, Epaphroditus, whatever happens to you, happens to me. And whatever happens to me, happens to you. It matters. It's not a let's catch up for coffee, have a quick chat and go type of friendship. This is fellowship. And I think fellowship has been diluted in Christian circles to friendship, and it's not the same thing. It's a spiritual connection. It's deeper. So let's cultivate fellowship, not friendships. Let's go beyond the surface level and go deep in our walk with each other. Who challenges you? Who inspires you? Who speaks life into your life and into your situations? Who do you meet with? Who do you connect with that encourages your walk in the faith? You can do things in isolation and get before God, and that is absolutely scriptural. Jesus went away on his own and spent time. But Jesus also said the disciples, spend time connecting with one another. People of different cultures, different backgrounds, different races, different creeds, working together to forge fellowship. Friendship, to a degree, won't necessarily get you through the difficult times in your walk with God. Because meeting with a friend and having a coffee and talking about the weather will not get you through whatever spiritual dry season you are going through. You need fellowship more than friendship. God spoke to me, and I wrote this down this morning. The British are very good at talking about the weather, but not so much about the one who made the weather. Isn't it that thing we do, well, let's talk about the weather. It's the strangest thing. It's usually the default that we go to when we connect with people, we talk about the weather. And it's usually pretty miserable in this country, so I don't know why we make it a focus or a topic of discussion. It's vital we have deep connections as we journey in our faith. true brother, the true element of it as well in that statement, we're sticking by one another. We need those connections that stay on course. Jackie talked about getting on the same wavelength, if you like, the same path, the same rail as God, because he says, I never leave you or forsake you. But God has placed people in our lives as well that should stick with us. Who shouldn't leave us and abandon us when we go through difficult times. And there are moments, yes, we let one another down. That's going to happen. But actually, who are those people in your life who can inspire you and stick with you and challenge you, even when you want to hear it or not? True brother. My second point. Paul says Epaphroditus is a co-worker. A co-worker is defined as someone who works along someone else to achieve the same pur- purpose, to achieve the same outcome. And Paul recognizes that Epaphroditus is not in this for any selfish means or personal ambition. but recognizes that the work that he is doing is for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. What are we doing in turn in our service to God, not only within the church, but in our spheres of influence, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our everyday life? What are we doing in our service to God? What are we committing to him that we will do? Where are you serving? What ministry has God placed on your life? You see, it's not just about what God wants to do in your life. It's about the people you journey with. It's so important that as we're trying to um, work for God, work for the kingdom, do great things, do good works, do all the right things, and neglect the people we're journeying with. We can be so focused, so task-orientated, and so task-focused, we forget the people who we're doing the life with, the people we're doing the ministry with, the people that are challenging us and equipping us. Because in turn, the people who you serve with is the very opportunity to do fellowship with. The people you serve with is an opportunity to forge fellowship with. They're not people just making up the team. The people in your area of ministries, the people in your life, your family, the people in your workplace, the people in your community are not there just to make up the numbers. They are there so that you can have an influence in their life. So that you can impact something godly, some godly wisdom, some godly insight, some godly instruction, so it changes and impacts their life. And when you commit your life and your work to God, that your words will not fall short. Your words will have an impact because you're sowing seeds in good soil, landing and growing. Book of James talks about faith without works is dead. We need to be co-workers. Yes, having faith, but without works it is dead. Be a practical servant. Put your hand to the plow. Do something with your something. Whatever it is that God's blessed you with, whatever gifts, abilities, and talents he's put in you, whatever those treasures are, use them for God's glory. Do something with your something. You know what? You might, I just really sense some people are thinking, I don't even know what my something is. We talked about identity earlier, not knowing who you are in God. If you don't know who you are in God, how are you meant to know what to do for God? But let me say this your identity, if you've committed your life to God, your identity is firmly established in Him. And He will show you if you ask. Jesus says, Knock and ask. And a door will be open to you. Jesus will not kick down the door of your life to get answers out of you. And some people might be waiting for a bolt of lightning, a crack of thunder moment, to start doing something for him. But it won't happen. He's commissioned us to do it already. But just say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Where do you want to position me? Hear his voice, connect with God, connect with people. Just start moving and putting things in motion. Begin to have conversations in areas of interest. Start speaking to other people of same common goals and, and plug yourself in. There are so many ministries operating in this church in the week that you can be involved in. Things that happen on a Sunday afternoon that you can be involved in different teams, different things in operation. Speak to a, a leader, speak to someone in the church to help you to start connecting and being a co-worker. Don't bury your something. Third point, fellow soldier. Paul says Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. Interesting, he used, those, used that word soldier, but it wasn't uncommon for Paul. If you read in Ephesians 6 when he talks about the armor of God, he refers to the Roman soldier and the, you know, the kind of armor that they wore. And again, he does this. But let's just read Ephesians 6 verse 12. It says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. You see, we are not physical soldiers, but we are spiritual soldiers, praying against evil forces. And Paul recognized that Epaphroditus was a fellow warrior, a prayer warrior, who was proactive in prayer and building the kingdom, despite opposition. And his opposition, in this text, you can read, it was nearly death. And he said, God had mercy on him and spared him. We all go through different things, but both you and I are soldiers. Are we God-fearing, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled, breathing? I'll say that again. Are we a God-fearing, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled, breathing army? we are brothers and sisters, we've we've established this, we're true brothers and sisters in the faith, established in Christ, knowing who we are, identity in him, knowing that he is for us, not against us. We're a band of brothers and sisters seeking to advance the kingdom. There's a Latin phrase for the U.S. Special Forces, their motto, it says this, De Oppresso Libera. And it, it means one of three things. It means to free the oppressed, free from having been oppressed, or free from the oppressed one. I don't know about you, but I'm glad Christ is the one who set me free. We sang earlier, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. We are called to live in freedom and set others free from darkness so they too can be brought into the light of God, receiving a revelation of who he is. So we are spiritual soldiers undeniably involved in a spiritual battle. 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 says this. Paul again speaking to Timothy this time. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ another soldier of the faith. Endure with me, walk with me, stay true to the cause with me. What happens to you happens to me and be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so with this kind of reference of a Roman soldier in mind, Paul here again, I believe, was talking about being identified as a spiritual warrior. And the incredible thing about the Roman soldiers is that in battle, They could easily be identified by the brushes on the top of their helmets probably seen it in films so the romans would have their helmets they'd have the uh, the horse hair that was dyed red it was a a couple of things why they had it one to make them look taller and bigger makes sense if you're going into battle but it was to be identified during battle to know the numbers of the soldiers that had fallen and the ones that were still standing up We need to be identified by God and by one another that we are spiritual soldiers involved in a spiritual battle. The word says it's not by might, not by strength, but by his spirit. And the thing is, we're not going into this battle, not being unsure of the outcome. We have the victory. That's someone's excited, but you know we have the victory. The battle's been won. we just got to go into the battlefield. Are we identified by God and by others that we are spiritual soldiers? Do you know the hymn? I loved this as a kid when we was in assembly. Onward, Christian Soldier. All the boys got really tanked up for that when I was in school. It was like we'd sing a, a few songs. We we're like, oh, I'm not singing that. So. And then, Onward, Christian Soldier. Get up, boys. I think, it's, is that the one that's got the, the word diadem in it? Royal diadem, has it got something like that now? Maybe maybe it's a different one, but it was that one, An Onward Christian Soldier. We loved it. But you know what, that was the processional hymn for the Salvation Army. It became their anthem. Onward Christian Soldier, marching as to war. Spiritual war. I read this the other day as well. When Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt met in August 1941 on the battleship HMS, Prince of Wales, to agree the Atlantic Charter, a church service was held for which the Prime Minister Winston Churchill chose the hymns. He chose Onward Christian Soldier. And afterwards, he made a radio broadcast to explain the decision. He said this. We sang onward Christian soldiers, indeed, and I felt that this was no vain presumption, but that we had the right to feel that we were serving a cause for the sake of a trumpet which had sounded from on high. When I looked upon that densely packed congregation of fighting men of the same language, the same faith, the same fundamental laws, of the same ideals, it swept across me that here was the only hope, but also the sure hope of saving the world from measureless degradation we're in a spiritual battle and the battlefield is full of measureless degradation the depravity the decay of society of family culture everything that we see that is around us that we know isn't right that we know when we measure it up to god it doesn't stand right that is what we are fighting for that is the battlefield And we need to be identified as spiritual warriors at this time. This is not the time for sitting back and kicking our shoes off. But for standing proud for who we are as Christians. Being fellow soldiers. And Epaphroditus was commended for being this by Paul. Matthew 16 verse 8. Jesus said this. I will build my church. And the powers, or it may read the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church. He's established the kingdom. He's asking us to go in. Just like the Israelites with the promised land, to possess it. To take it. But what's crucial about being a fellow soldier is these couple of things. How are we spending quality time in his presence? Knowing the commanding officer's voice. Knowing our master's voice. Knowing that the one who has brought us the victory, do we know his voice? Are we spending time knowing his presence? Are we spending time in prayer and intercession? Are we making the time to pray strategically into situations to bring down strongholds? What's been incredible the, about the word prayer is how we've been able to explore as link groups what prayer is. And that we've assumed we've known what prayer is all our Christian lives. But actually it's hearing people's experiences of prayer. This has just changed my prayer life. And reading about the different ways we can access God and pray and wait on him and contemplate and listen. And not just blurt out our prayers, but to wait on him. When we hear his voice, we know what to pray. Paul said to Epaphroditus, you are a true brother. You are a co-worker. You are a fellow soldier. Are those three qualities in your life, do you possess those three qualities? Are you true to God and true to the church that you attend, true to your brothers and sisters? Are you a co-worker? Are you doing something practical with your faith? Because if you're not, faith without works is dead. And lastly, are you a fellow prayer spiritual warrior? Time in prayer, time in intercession, time asking and seeking God for what he wants to do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Because I really sense a response needs to be had from this. We can hear, we can listen, we can digest, but sometimes God says, I need a response. I want to see a commitment. And the spiritual move is the most important thing he's asking of us. But I believe, and we see in scripture, that there are times where physically people had to move and do something. So as the worship team in just a moment are going to take us back into worship let me just pray this with heads bowed, eyes closed Father you are good through your scriptures, through your word you can teach us so much but right now you're teaching us about how Paul commended Epaphroditus for being a true brother, a co-worker for being faithful for being a spiritual prayer warrior. And Father, they're the very things you've called us to be. Those things weren't just for them; It was for them, but it's for now too. And we need to advance the kingdom. We need to move and do something with our something. So as you speak into our hearts, Holy Spirit, I pray, just begin to minister to each person in this room. From the front to the back to the balcony upstairs. Father, have your way. Lord, we want to honor you, not just with our mouths, but with our actions. We want to see you do incredible things in this church, but in this city and in this nation of Wales. Lord, stir us to pray and intercede for the things of God. Let us not become complacent with the things that you have for us. Lord, we've been made in your image. We are masterpieces. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpieces. Created anew in Christ Jesus to do the things which he had called for us to do long ago. There are works to do. There are things to do. There are people to reach. There are communities to be transformed for the glory of God. And each person is a part of it. Each person is strategic in making this happen. If God has spoken to you this afternoon, you may be thinking, all these three things apply to me. There might be one thing that's just really sticking out to you. With eyes closed and heads bowed, just put your hand up and just signify to me that you want a step out. You want to move. You want to be placed in a strategic position. You want, as you move, God will honor your commitment. God will start to do something in your life. Just start, just raise your hand. There are hands going up in this room. There are many hands going up in this room. People wanting to be used. People wanting to be committed to God, committed to church, committed to doing what God wants to do. Father, as they put their hands up right now and just continue to keep your, your hands up in the air if that's you, This afternoon, all you're doing is making a statement saying, God, here I am. This is my here I am, send me, use me moment. This is not about the person you came to church with. This is not about the person you're going to have a coffee with afterwards. This is about you making a declaration of faith to say, I'm going to commit to being a true brother or a true sister in the faith. I commit to being a worker. To do in something to advance what God wants to do. And to pray into these situations. Soldiers need to be brave. Soldiers need to be committed. I'm going to ask you to do something else. If you've put your hand up as the worship team begins to lead us. I want you to come forward. Don't let the pews in this building be a restriction to you and what God wants to do in your life. Move out of the pew and come forward. Come on, just start to come. We've got the leaders here. If there are people on the prayer team, I ask you that you would join us. We're going to pray for these people. If you want to pray yourself, just let someone know. And as we worship, Father God, I pray you do something incredible. This would be a landmark moment. This would be a significant move. As they position themselves, as they come forward, Lord, that is their declaration of faith, that they are asking you, Father, to do something incredible inside them. That they will know in their heart that you are doing something new. Lord, pour new wine into new wineskins. Fill them afresh with your spirit. Shake off complacency. Let's worship together.